Welcome to Education Beat. I'm Ann Vasquez, Executive Director at EdSource. California public schools have an unprecedented windfall of money, thanks in part to the federal government's American Rescue Plan. More than $13 billion in federal COVID relief, and that's in addition to record state funding for K-12 public education. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to try to get things right, especially for meeting the needs of students most impacted by the pandemic. Learning loss, learning lag, unfinished learning, like whatever you want to call that, kids lost ground. And so being able to lean forward into that and to help them, you know, thrive, we can't really wait on that. Tutoring, mental health services, more summer activities, districts are trying to make the most with this money. What are some of the things that they're doing and what are the challenges they face to spend the money effectively? Here is this week's Education Beat with host Zadie Stabley. Isaiah Vega is a senior at Edison High School in Fresno. He had a difficult time during his junior year of high school during distance learning. His grandma died of lung cancer. He was helping take care of her. It was very like, uh, like hard during like the latter months. So like this time or last year, um, it was like a big part of my life just taken away. Probably the hardest year I've ever encountered was 2020. Isaiah struggled to keep up in school. He reached out to his teachers to ask for help. Isaiah says what his peers and he need most right now is more mental health support. I think like a lot of kids here are like struggling, you know, trying to get back on their feet, you know, from being in a year of just isolation. So it's been hard for everybody here, even the teachers, you know, it's been hard. And getting that mental health support would be beneficial for everybody at this school or in this district. This is Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools. I'm Zadie Stavely. So many students last year lost family members, like Isaiah did. We'll hear more from him later in the episode. But losing a family member wasn't the only challenge students have faced during the pandemic. Others had parents who lost their jobs. And the disruption in living through a pandemic affected every student. The funds for schools and the American Rescue Plan are meant to help meet the tremendous needs of students. After a year of learning from home and traumatic loss and hardship, the funds are also known as ESSER funds. ESSER is short for Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief. My colleague, the great John Fensterwald, delved into several district plans to see just how they're using these funds. His story will be up soon on edsource.org. John used to co-host the EdSource podcast This Week in California Education, so I invited him back to the mic to talk about all this money. Hi, John. Nice to have you on Education Beat. Well, Zadie, it's a pleasure to be back. I, uh, I've been really enjoying what you've been doing. I am not only a colleague, but an avid fan. Oh, thank you. So how big of a deal is this money from the American Rescue Plan? It's a lot of money. It's $15 billion in total, and that's the largest single amount of federal funding, which is total something like $26 billion to California K-12 schools since March of 2020. And this one's $15 billion, and $13.5 billion is going directly to school districts. So it's a lot of money. Thousands of dollars, I should say, depending on the district. And can that money, do you think it can really make a difference? Well, of course, we have a thousand districts and it depends how they spend it. And we've 
often criticized that with local control funding formula, it's all local. And so some districts make wise decisions and some don't. And I don't think the districts that really don't have it together are suddenly going to have the wisdom to spend it right. But we'll see. There aren't many restrictions on this money. And the amount does vary tremendously because it's tied to Title I funding formula, federal, which is tied to poverty. So you can get a district in Los Gatos, which in looking at the total federal aid, it would be a couple hundred bucks. And then you look at Compton and LA Unified and Inglewood, which gets well over $10,000 a student. So a huge variation in how much districts get. So that alone will help decide what they're going to do with that money. But I think it could make a difference. And I've seen some plans that uh, leave me optimistic. But uh, this will be a great federal experiment three years from now when the money runs out. It will say, well, what did they do with the money? Did it matter? Did it count? So, John, you looked at a bunch of different plans that school districts came up with. And right. um, what stood out to you from some of the plans? What you know looked like a great idea? Yeah, there were a couple that really stood out. And let me just say that there's tremendous flexibility in what districts could do with the money. Although 20% of it had to be to address the lost learning opportunity that the pandemic created. So 20%, a fifth at least, has to be used to address that. And most districts did more than that. I like to particularly what Long Beach plans. It's very thorough and it completely redid its approach to early literacy. And with new curriculum and all the teachers are being trained, they're hiring 400 teachers in total. A lot of them are counselors and uh, social workers and also to uh, reduce the class size for the early grade so we can really directly approach the ability to learn to read by third grade. And they're using metrics to do it. They've got a a special project for high school kids, ninth graders coming in, particularly kids of color, um, to focus on leadership training and uh, their skills coming in. So it's a real focus on ninth graders coming into high schools, and that's impressive as well. And a lot of money on tutoring with uh, hiring both outside contractors and also enabling teachers who want to be part of that tutoring to do it. So there are a number of projects in Long Beach and... um, also, now you, you read Oakland's plan, I believe, Zadie, for us, and they're doing some interesting things too. Well, Oakland is putting a lot of money toward literacy with tutors and reading specialists, and they're also hiring people for every school site to make them community schools with wraparound services. Um, what stood out the most to me, John, was about $7 million for the parent-teacher home visiting project. And so that's where um, teachers get training to go do visits and sit down with families at their homes and kind of set out goals for the year and then just get to know the families better. This is actually something that I think Oakland Unified had been wanting to do for several years. I'd heard rumors about it years ago, and now I see that they're using the money to actually implement it. I think there are districts that have been talking about ideas that they wish they had the money, such as expanded summer school for all students and enrichment in the summer. And instead of offering it for a couple schools, for a couple grades, many districts are focusing a lot of money on that. A lot of attention on counseling and and, uh, additional help because we know that the kids have gone through a lot in the pandemic. They really need more attention to wellness. And districts are doing, if they can, if they can find them, hiring counselors. Other districts are saying, particularly those with declining enrollment, that anticipate losing funding in future years are trying to figure out how to contract it out. So Eastside Union High School District in San Jose wants to set up telehealth in their new wellness centers, knowing that they can't hire 
additional staff at this point. They're doing well to hold on to the ones that they have. A lot of districts are using some of their funds for internet access and technology. Fresno Unified, the third largest district in the state, received about $388 million in emergency relief funds. They're using about $50 million of that for facility upgrades and internet access. Superintendent Bob Nelson says the pandemic highlighted major inequities in the district, the opportunities and resources that some students have and other students don't. One of the big gaps was internet access. Districts across California gave out hotspots and laptops, but Nelson says that wasn't enough in some Fresno neighborhoods. In our most underserved areas, like even giving out hotspots, if commercially available Wi-Fi was not really robust in that neighborhood, we still had areas where the kids who had the most set of resources had the most Wi-Fi access going forward, and the kids that were the most chronically underserved didn't. Nelson remembers one African-American student who didn't have Wi-Fi access at home, but he needed to do his homework. So he went to the Home Depot parking lot and was just sitting in the car using their Wi-Fi to get his homework done, and people were like rousing him out thinking he was there loitering and giving him a hard time. This incident brought into focus for Nelson the need for the district to do something more. It's just like, okay, how do we provide a safe and functional solution for everybody in their home? And not just kids, right? It benefits the family too. I mean... How much of your life is grounded in having reliable and ready access to the internet? And so we actually established our own LTE network. So actually kids at 25 of our schools that live like a half a mile away from their school actually log in using their district device and with a hotspot that we provide to connect to our own LTE network. Now you could debate like should schools be in the internet providing business, but you know, for our kids, it's just something that they got to have in order to make that work and function well. And so we're really excited about it. Fresno Unified is also putting aside a big chunk of money for mental health, $26 million for adding additional positions or partnerships with outside organizations to focus on social, emotional, and mental health supports for students and families. And they're expanding an online virtual school where students can learn from home through live instruction, the way most did last year. Superintendent Nelson says demand for this is ballooning. Our eLearn Academy started in July with 272 kids, and now it's over 4,300. Wow. Yeah, I mean, people want that opportunity to have digital instruction, and it's grown over time. Like, the second time you contact Trace somebody out for 10 days, parents are like, nope, I need a more, I need a strategy which is a lot more predictable. We didn't shift any of the staffing from any of our existing schools to eLearn. We brought in people and expanded our teaching force which was good in a couple different ways because it actually lowered the class sizes in the schools where kids were leaving to go to eLearn to give them more supports for literacy and math. Um, Were it not for ESSER funds, we would not have been able to do that readily. Fresno's also using funding to extend the school day by 30 minutes for all students for the fall semester. They're adding additional teaching positions to reduce class size for elementary math and literacy, and they're adding more staff to promote ninth grade literacy. They're also expanding some programs they already had, like a program that helps African-American parents work on reading with their kids, and a mentoring and tutoring program for English learners. There are some big challenges to spending this money effectively. Nelson says one of the hard parts is bringing it all to scale and finding the staff. What is interesting is 2021 pandemic educating is actually probably harder than 2020 because of the staffing gaps. 2020 was hard because we were reconceptualizing what school would look like, but 2021 maybe even worse because we now have money 
but we don't have people. And so that part is very, very hard. And I mean, it's simultaneously true, right? Bringing kids back when the pandemic is still happening is probably ill-advised and maybe not kind of wrong-headed in some ways. And yet kids being with us is the best single place for them to be. Those are simultaneously true. So how do you go about doing that? How do you bring kids back in a way that's safe and responsible and, you know, allows for their instruction? Learning loss, learning lag, unfinished learning, like whatever you want to call that, kids lost ground. And so being able to lean forward into that and to help them, you know, thrive, um, that's really key. And we can't really wait on that. So in some sense, it's really hard to bring all that stuff to scale, but we can't, you know, time is of the essence too. We got to move. Finding subs is a problem all over the state, both because of a shortage of substitutes and because so many staff have to miss days of work because they either get COVID or they were exposed to COVID and have to stay home until they get a negative COVID test. When Nelson goes to visit schools, he sees how hard it is. I had a principal that I visited, one of the elementary schools I visited. Um, the office manager and the principal today was both of their collective first day back after a COVID stint, right? That's pretty jarring. Like, we were kidding. I was loving on the nurse. It's like, oh, that's the nurse Like, she does every duty in the front office, right? Like, she can put in attendance. She can... You know, it's we've really had to rely upon the goodwill of people and you don't want to abuse, you know, people's empathy, right? That part's hard. And yet you have to, like every able body, you got to use them to the greatest degree you can. And so it's, you know, it's hard. It's hard to keep things staffed and it's not been easy, but we know this is the most important thing we can do for our kids and so we persist. The staffing issue could throw a wrench in some of the plans for the federal funding. We've made some bold claims like we're not going to have any kid on a waiting list. Everybody that wants after school to use for supports, if they need additional help, we're going to try and do that. But actually bringing it to scale in live time is a lot harder than it sounds. EdSource can't do it without your help. As a nonprofit organization, we rely on listeners like you. Between now and December 31st, EdSource has a goal to raise $100,000 to support our storytelling and our in-depth reporting. Make your donation today at edsource.org. This is Education Beat. I'm Zadie Stavely. This week, we're looking at the huge amount of emergency relief funds and what they mean for California schools. I'm talking with John Fensterwald, who's working on a story about this for EdSource. John, so many of the districts are actually using the money to hire new staff. And I guess my question is, is that a good idea? Because it's going to, you know, the money is going to end in three years, right? Yeah, that's a central question that all districts have to face now, is that this is one-time money over several years. I think the rationale for districts is we have a crisis now. We need to bring people. We need to bring more adults into the building. So... Either we're going to do that and have to cut back, perhaps in several years through retirements, if we're lucky, it won't be jarring. But at the same time, uh, they're also optimistic that there'll be another good year next year in terms of revenue and there are signs that it might. So I think if you're optimistic, but then they'll say realistic, we really need to address this crisis now, this hopefully one in a hundred year setback that students have faced. We can't wait. We need to bring skilled people in to deal with the students right now. And that's the argument they're making. Districts were supposed to consult with parents and students and other people in the community about how to best spend the money. John says some districts did a better job than others. 
California districts are used to having the LCAP process, the local control and accountability document that you create every year for the local control funding formula. So so we're used to that. So California districts, many of them are ready for this kind of engagement. The question is whether they did that for this particular plan, because you could simply go back and say, well, we've already done this. We did this part of the LCAP process this year, so we really don't need to do it any further. And in fact, I think the one example I saw was San Jose Unified, which said, well, look, the American Rescue Plan equals an additional 7.5% of our budget, so we're going to increase all of our major budget by 7.5%. The argument was we want to have everything aligned and consistent. So, you know, we can give them points for consistency, but I'm not sure about imagination or, or novelty in terms of, you know, using this money to really focus on those kids and try something different, knowing it's one-time money. How, how are we going to know if this is actually working well, if we're looking at continuous improvement, you've got to measure it over several years, but there have to be metrics along the way so you can see if it's making a difference. And it's hard to measure for students who've gone through trauma and they're coming back to know exactly how do you measure that engagement? How do we know that they're now connected in school? We know that they've lost something in the past year or so. I think it's going to take a while to know that it's making an effect, but it's not going to show up necessarily in test scores next spring. Will we be able to track how how districts are actually spending the money versus what they planned to spend the money on? That's a really great question because you've done your spending plan. You can change it tomorrow if you feel the need to do that. There's nothing stopping you. There is the um, federal government is now setting up the reporting requirements for this American Rescue Plan. And so we wait to see that. You know, if you really wanted to find out, you can track the reimbursements for every district. That's quite cumbersome. This The state board will, at least in February, require the district's update in a broad sense. How are they spending the federal dollars that they got? What are your successes? What isn't working? At least an initial report for people is coming out in the spring. And then I believe once a year, they'll have to do some kind of broader reporting. I think given the fact that the categories are broad, it's going to be very difficult to draw conclusions, at least district to district, among districts to see what's working and the patterns of success. But if you're really, I hope parents are, and I hope school boards follow through, want to find out how it's working, you should be able to at least get a good sense after six months to a year. What would you recommend for parents and and maybe students too who are really engaged? What should parents and students be looking for when they look at these plans? Yeah, I think that student leaders and school boards and site council parents should say, show us what's happening after six months. Did you hire the teachers that you said you were wanted to hire because we know it's going to be difficult? And if you didn't, what are you doing with the money? How are you, you know, if you're using tutoring, for example, a lot of districts are doing tutoring. Who's going to the tutoring? Who's showing up after school? Is it equitable? What are you doing to do outreach to make sure that that students are taking advantage of this and other opportunities in the summer and enrichment? Isaiah, the Fresno senior, is part of a group called Californians for Justice. He says they'll be monitoring what Fresno Unified does with their funding. He knows the district says they're putting more money toward counseling, but he hasn't seen a big change at his school yet. I'm not seeing anything like to promote like 
mental health well-being at my school. Just me personally. I don't know about other students. Um, they literally have to speak up about it. Um, it should just be offered whether or not they speak up about it or not. They should have that option no matter what. It shouldn't be the student's responsibility to speak up. It should be the school's responsibility to make sure they have the the ground to speak up and to talk to someone, you know? So, yeah, and that that's how I see it at my school. Right now, he's also focused on finishing his senior year and applying for college. He plays trombone, tuba, and euphonium in the school band, and he wants to become a music teacher, maybe even teach back in Fresno Unified. I want to be a part of the music and teaching because I love teaching um, students how to play their music. So I just like, I think that's where I like, that's where my passion is. Um, Yeah, I, I think music is just, It's wonderful. (laughs) Check out John's story about the school emergency relief funds early next week at edsource.org. You'll be able to find more details there about the emergency relief funding and sample spending from seven districts. You can also browse the database on our site to find out how much funding your school district got. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools a production of EdSource. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Special thanks to Isaiah Vega, Bob Nelson, John Fensterwald, and our director, Ann Vasquez. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the S.H. Cowell Foundation. I'm Zadie Stavely. Join me next week and subscribe so you won't miss an episode.